Dr. Charles Weigel is the man who wrote that song. And he did so after a great tragedy in his life. His uh, young wife, they'd only been married a few years, and he was an itinerant pastor or preacher and uh, sang songs and wrote music. And uh, his wife uh, did not like the lifestyle that they lived. And uh, so she decided she was going to leave him. She said, Charles, you either give up traveling and preaching or, or I'm leaving you. And after spending an awful, agonizing time in prayer, Brother Charles said, I cannot, I cannot forsake the God that has saved me and is calling on my life. And she left him. And for five years, Brother Charles came off the road and he did not preach, he did not sing. And uh, one night over in Indiana, he was attending a uh, meeting over there. And the fellow that was uh, moderating the meeting said, I see Brother Weigel is in the auditorium. He said, Brother Weigel, I'd like for if you would to come forward and sing a song for us. And he came forward. And he reached into his coat. And he pulled out a tattered piece of paper, well-worn and tear-stained. It had those verses written on it. And for the first time, he sang that song. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. And it became a well-known hymn, well-known song over those years. God's used it many, many times to encourage people. I'm thankful we have a God that in the darkest hours, He's right there with us. No one ever cared for you like the Lord Jesus Christ cares for you. There's not a, there's not a mother, a wife, a husband, a father, parents, or children that care for you any more than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible makes reference to the fact that the love that we have for the Lord ought to be such that it makes the love that we have for our families look like hatred. And we know how much we love our families, don't we? Could you imagine loving God that much? That it caused our love for our families to pale in comparison. Oh, I wish we could love Him like that. I know He certainly loves us like that. And I appreciate that song this morning. Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. Has this got a little ring? Are you all hearing a ring in that? I hear a ring. Jonathan, can we back that down just a touch? Just a smidge. All right. All right. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look in verse number 14. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's getting ready now to share with the church at Ephesus. When he prays for them, this is what he prays for. And I think it's interesting for us to see what he says here in verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, 
and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Father, we pray that you'll bless this message this morning. And Lord, speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit stir us afresh and anew. May we leave here this morning rejoicing that our faith has been strengthened. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, they don't know if they were to die today, that they would go to heaven. They don't remember a time and a place that they've put their faith in you. Maybe they're trusting their church attendance or the family they grew up in. Maybe they're trusting the fact that they've tried to live a good life. Lord, none of that, none of that will help them to escape the fires of hell and to give them a home in heaven for eternity. None of that will cause that to happen. Only by putting their faith and their trust in you will that happen. And so, Father, I pray that if there be one here today that does not know you as Savior, that they would get that matter settled. For Christians that are here today, Lord, may you charge us up. May you encourage us. May your Holy Spirit fill our hearts and our minds to overflowing. May it get so much that we just can't hardly contain it anymore. And may our hearts be stirred. And Lord, we ask that you would help to, for the next few moments, lay aside any distractions and burdens that may be upon our hearts and our minds. Lord, I know many people came here this morning and have burdens and heartache. I pray that for the next few moments you would give the peace that passeth understanding. That you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds wholly upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find in this passage a... Scripture that is often quoted and claimed, and I've used it before, and I know I've heard other people use it before, and we say, boy, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. The problem is, we don't finish the verse. We don't finish the verse. There's a true statement in the first half of it. God is certainly able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but I want you to notice what he goes on to say according to the power that worketh in us. Paul was wanting and desiring for God to be glorified in the church. That there would be things happening in the church at Ephesus that people would look at and say, we've prayed for this, and God did exceeding abundantly above that. He did something far greater than we ever even expected as a church. And Paul's desire was, and he tells us in verse number 21, he says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When people think of church today, do they think of the Lord Jesus Christ being uplifted and glorified? And do they look at the church and say, Boy, there's a church that God is doing something great in that church. In fact, he's doing exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. This is Paul's desire for the church at Ephesus. We live in a day today where most people tolerate church. Uh, sad to say, even Christian folks sometimes tolerate it. We know that that's our schedule and our duty to go to church. And, oh, Mama raised me that way, so I better go. <laughs> I better get to church at least once in a while. I better go. Where's the power of God resting upon a church? Where's the power of God indwelling the people of a church in such a way that when they pray, He does exceeding abundantly above what they even ask or pray for? 
But the truth of the matter is, there have been seasons of that throughout the church's history, hasn't there? There have been great sweeping revivals. We've seen God give extraordinary grace to churches in times of persecution, where men and women and even children, at the risk of their own lives, saying, we will not turn our backs on God. And having extraordinary faith and having extraordinary grace, many have gone to the, the, uh, the, uh, the executioner's sword and they've gone to the, the lions and they've gone to the fire and the burning at the stake and all through it singing the praises of God. And we say, boy, what a great faith that Christian had. Where is that kind of faith? We've seen churches that have had the infilling of the Holy Spirit in such a way and the resting of the Holy Spirit upon His people in such a way that people would begin to get right and their hearts would be drawn to the Savior. And the church would spend the next several months and sometimes even years doing nothing but lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. Paul's desire for the church at Ephesus was that the Lord be glorified. That this God of, of whom He spoke in verses uh, 14 and down, verse number 15, that He would be the one who would be, uh, unto Him would be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Not just once in a while, but He says throughout all ages, world without end. This is what God expects of a church. This is what God expects of His people. When we talk about revival, we don't talk about something that ought to be a short season, but ought to be a, a, heart, a heart condition that we live in daily. It ought to be the thriving part of a church. And I understand we have ups and we have downs in life. I understand that. But the stirring of our hearts and our love for God ought to be something that grows every day. The fire and the, fans, the, the flames are fanned every day. When I was growing up, I lived down in South Florida where it's hot. And why in the world my dad put not one but two fireplaces in our house? I'll never know. But he did. He put two fireplaces in our house. And occasionally, the, the, uh, the temperature in South Florida, we get down in the 60s. And when it did, we would turn the air conditioner really, really low, like as low as it would go. And we would light those fireplaces up. And I remember at night having the burning, roaring fire. Boy, it was beautiful. We'd turn the lights out and we'd sing hymns and we'd sometimes share Scripture around that fire in the living room. Precious times in our family. I remember sitting there sometimes just looking in the glow of the fire and watching it and burning. And then the morning time would come. We'd go to bed and we'd get up in the morning time and I'd come down and I'd go to look at the fireplace. And there were little embers that were just kind of glowing in there, not the burning, roaring fire that we had seen the night before. But we found out something. If you take another log and throw it on there... And you'd start fanning that little ember. Put a little bit of air across it. Start fanning that ember and you'd nurture that little ember. Don't let it go out. It wasn't long before a flame would spark and then another and then another. And you put enough logs on there and that flame would be going strong again. Can I tell you this? That we've got to be careful in our Christian lives that we fan the flames not just when it goes out. But we need to fan the flames every day. Don't let it go out. Don't let it become just an ember. Paul says that this is something that ought to take place in the church world without end. This is something that ought to be the spirit of the church. You look at the church, the early church and the first century church. They weren't noted by uh, having hot periods and they were on fire for the Lord. <clears throat> and then growing cold and callous and then getting a revival and getting some preacher to come in. One of the other apostles would come and speak and all of a sudden they had great revival again. And then they would dwindle again. But in that early church you saw a spirit of revival. 
For the first hundred years or so, you see the church in a revival spirit and people that are on the fire for the Lord and things are happening in their lives. But there are some things that Paul prays for that I think will do us good to look at because this doesn't just happen in a church. You don't just attend church and, and, and come and sit every week with your Bible and sing the hymns out of the hymn book and God's presence fall on that place in a unique way. It doesn't happen like that. Paul says, I've prayed. We've spent some time the last several weeks dealing with the topic of revival and how important it is to prepare our hearts for revival. To have my heart ready and to have your heart ready. How that there needs to be seasons of prayer in every great revival that God has swept across. And you can check it out in Scripture. You can check it out in history. Every single one of them has one major thing in common, and that is people that have a broken spirit that come to God in prayer and begin to prepare their hearts for God to do a great work. Paul says in verse number 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, What caused Paul? That he might have glory in the church. Look what he says he prays for as we get to verse number 16. He says, this is what I pray for. That he would grant you, I love this, according to the riches of his glory. You ever thought of this? God does not owe me anything. And He doesn't owe you anything. We've not done anything to earn something that God owes us. I remember I was sharing with somebody the other night, and I I don't speak of this often because it's a very personal thing with me, but there was a time that I went through a very dark period of time in my life. And after about 20 years of serving the Lord and being in ministry, being a youth pastor and, and serving and working long hours and just doing everything I could to try to reach people with the gospel for about 20 years. And the Lord put me through one of the darkest valleys I think I've ever had to go through. And I remember sitting in my living room one night praying and pleading with God. I was weeping with Him and asking for Him to resolve the situation for me. And I I remember sitting there and this thought came across my mind. And I'm so ashamed of it now as I look back. But the thought came to me, I thought, Lord, after all that I have done for you. And it wasn't but just a moment before he he just pricked my heart. And I thought, what in the world am I saying? As if I was some benefit to God. The service I gave to God was not because I was trying to earn something from him. It was because I loved him. I didn't owe him anything. I owe, I, or he didn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. And the arrogance of a statement like that. I've heard people say, well, I, I, I tried serving the Lord and things didn't go my way and so I just quit on it. How arrogant to think that we were doing it because we wanted to earn God's favor. Paul doesn't pray for the church at Ephesus to have God's blessing upon it because of the great church that they are. Paul prays for Ephesus to have God's blessing on it because of God's grace and because of His abundance of His glory and the things that He has at His store, the riches that God has. You know, the Bible tells us that God's grace is inexhaustible. 
It doesn't matter how much sin man has, God's grace is always going to exceed the sin. Where, grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Way beyond the sin. God's riches are inexhaustible. If he ever ran out, he'd just create some more. And it wouldn't deplete him at all. And so Paul comes to the church at Ephesus and says, Listen, I'm praying for God out of the riches of His glory to do some things for you. Look what he says, verse number 16. Number one, that you be strengthened with the might by His Spirit in the inner man. We've talked so much about having the power of God upon our lives. The first thing Paul prays for in order for God to get glory in the church is that every person in that church be strengthened with the might of the Spirit in the inner man. We try all kinds of things, don't we? All kinds of plans, all kinds of... Uh, we, people, men have written books, how to have revival. And we, we go through and we check off the list. Okay, there's, we, did, we did that and we did that and we did that. Can I tell you the first thing that's got to happen for God to send revival and for God to get glory in the church is for you and I to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man. Our personal walk with God has got to be right. I can, I can work on all the externals of my life that I want to. I can cut my hair right. I can dress right. I can, I can smell right. I can talk right. I can act right. I can have the right kind of personality and the right kind of speech. And all of that is vain if the heart is not dealt with. For God to bring glory in the church... Paul says, I pray, I bow my knees before the God of heaven and pray that you would be strengthened by the might of the Spirit, by His power in the inner man. I hope somebody's praying for me like that. I'd like to know if God prays for me like that. I certainly know it's His desire. He looks down and he sees Greg down there trying to preach. And he knows what kind of person I am. And he looks down there and he says, Boy, I sure wish he'd be strengthened with the might of my spirit in the inner man. He looks down at every person sitting here today and he calls your name. And he says, Boy, I wish, I wish that person would be strengthened with the might of my spirit in the inner man. Notice he goes on to say in verse number 16, To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Number 2, verse number 17, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He's supposed to live in there. That's where He abides. You know, the Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in us, which we have of God. And we are not our own, the Bible says, for we are bought with a price. It's interesting to me in Revelation chapter 3, at the church of Laodicea, speaking to those that are supposed to be saved, those that have claimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that He stands at the door and knocks. You know, it is possible for you and I as Christians to push God out of our lives? I was talking to somebody, I think, just this week. I think Brother Douglas and I, Wednesday night, we were talking a little bit about this. Brother Wayne, we were all sitting back here talking about that. How so oftentimes we leave the power of God out of the picture. We almost push it to the side and say, I'll deal with my life the way I want to. I'll deal with ministry the way I want to. And I'll take care of God's power later. If I need you, God, I'll I'll come get you. And that's the way we usually go through our lives. The Bible tells us, and Paul tells us here, you need to let Christ dwell in your heart. 
He needs to live right there. That means he's, he's coming there and he's, he's taking up residence there. He's not leaving. And I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to talk with him every single day because he lives inside of me. And when I walk outside of my house and I go to places and I look at things and I hear things and my attitude and my mind and the things that I say, he's already inside there hearing and seeing and listening to all of it. And I'm aware of that. And so I do it in such a way that I try to please him because he's inside of me. He's inside of me. He dwells with me. You know how often we go through life and we give God only a thought during our time of devotion. You ever notice that? We get our devotional time and we we say, okay, I'm going to spend time with the Lord and that's my time. And then we get up from our devotion time, whether it be in the morning time or whenever it is, and we go ahead and we live our life the rest of the day without ever thinking of God another moment. How about every time we do something throughout the day, we think, I wonder what God would do in this situation. If He was right here with me, (laughs) I wonder what He would do. The truth is, He is right there with you. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. The psalmist said, if I make my bed in heaven, thou art there. He said, if I make my bed in hell, he said, thou art there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the earth, he said, behold, thou art there. Can I tell you this? We need to live in such a way that Christ dwells in us. That's, that's his abode. That's his temple. And can I tell you this? I love reading the book of Haggai, and, and after the... Solomon's temple was destroyed and sat in ruins for a number of years. Nehemiah comes back and they begin to rebuild the walls and they rebuild the foundation of the temple. Then it sat there for another 11 years before they began to build the second temple. And in Haggai chapter number 2, they start rebuilding the second temple. And some of the old timers who remembered what the the old temple looked like, they began to criticize and say, boy, this temple is nothing like Solomon's. It's not as ornate. It's not as beautiful. It doesn't have the same glory that the one that Solomon built was. And God came to the workers and told them, said, told Haggai, I said, you tell Zerubbabel and those, those that are working on it, he said, you tell them that I will fill my house with my glory. And the glory of this second house will exceed the glory of the first one. Not because of how ornate it was, how pretty it was on the outside, but because of God's presence that filled it. And I tell you this, you want glory to be found in the church. Let God rest inside of us and dwell inside of us and live inside of us every day. You say, Brother Greg, I'm saved so the Lord lives inside of me. Then let's live every day like that. Let's live with the conscious thought in mind. He is living there. He sees what I see. He hears what I see, uh, what I hear. He hears what I say. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. In fact, the psalmist said, He is the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of my heart. He even noticed my motivations. He knows my heart better than I do. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Can I tell you this? God knows it better than I do. Oh, that I would let Him dwell in my heart daily. Notice what else He says here in verse number 17. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Boy, I love that. You know, one of the great themes throughout Scripture, probably the greatest theme, you say, well, the greatest theme is salvation. Okay, but what is salvation other than the expression of God's love? Can I tell you this? You will not turn to a page of Scripture that you will not find the love of God found in it. His mercy, 
His grace, all because of His love. Notice he says that ye being rooted and grounded in love. In fact, the Bible spent a whole chapter to the Corinthian church that dealt with the issue of love. And the fact that if we have all of these outside things and we do not have love, that we're just useless. We're as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He says that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Not, not what kind of love are we talking about here? We're talking about a love for God. You know the greatest commandment of Scripture? is that we're to love the Lord our God with part of our heart, with some of our soul, a little bit of our mind. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine doesn't either. Not if you've got a King James Version. It says that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. All of it. All of it. All of it. We, we use that phrase so easily. We use that word so carelessly sometimes. Because when we say all, many times we just mean most. Because there are some things that we hold back. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is something we anchor ourselves into. Notice what he says here. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Maybe, this is what that Paul prays for may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. You know, Paul's prayer is that we be strengthened by the might of the Spirit in the inner man. We live every day with God dwelling in us. Not pushed out of our lives, but living right there. And that we root and ground ourselves in love so much that we comprehend the depth and height and breadth of God's love. I had somebody ask me a few weeks ago, we were dealing with the topic of forgiveness. Actually, I had three or four people come to me after that service. I had phone calls all through the afternoon. What about how do I forgive this? This is so, so horrible of a thing. How do I forgive? I can't answer how. All I can answer is we're supposed to. Because no matter how horrific we think that we can't forgive something, God has experienced far worse. And He has forgiven. And we as all saints together are to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love. We're to be able to do that. You say, Brother Gray, that's hard to do when you think of some of the horrible atrocities that are out there. But God was willing to send His Son to die for some of the most wicked, evil, ungodly men and women that have ever lived on the face of the earth. He was willing to let His Son die for them. And if they would have simply turned their hearts to the Lord... He would have forgiven them. I I want God to get glory in our church. When people look at Keith Heights Baptist Church, I'm thankful that we have a, a friendly church. And I've heard people say, boy, your people are so friendly. I'm glad of that. I, I want them to say there's a good spirit here, and I've had that happen. But beyond that, I want people when they come to this church to leave here saying, wow, what a great God you guys have. 
Boy, look, look at the Savior that they lift up. Your people were so excited about singing about God and listening about the things of God, and they were so uh, just ready to, to do what they needed to to become more like Him. That we would lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would understand the breadth and the length and the depth and the knowledge of the love of God. Verse 19, he says, "...that ye might be filled..." With all the fullness of God. You ever wondered what it would be like if we could ever get to the point of being filled with all the fullness of God? That's a, that's a powerful phrase. Paul prayed for this. For the folks there at Ephesus, he said, I, I pray that you will be filled with all of the fullness of God. Do you think if God were to fill this earthen vessel, that it would change this earthen vessel? Do you think if God were to fill this earthen vessel with Himself, that maybe it'd just spill over to other people, make an impact on their lives, cause me to be a better witness for Him? Years ago, there was a fellow who came to our church. I was just a young boy, and he brought a, a glass that was full of water. And he had a pitcher over here with colored water in it. He said, the problem is, I can't fill the glass because it's already full of something else. And in order for the pitcher to be able to fill the glass, he said, we have to empty the glass. Can I tell you this, that in order for you and I to be filled with the fullness of God, we need to empty ourselves. We need to say, Lord, I want all of you. I want all of you. And he starts the next verse with the word now. <laughs> he said, I want you to be strengthened with the Spirit in the inner man. I want Christ to dwell in your hearts by faith. I'm praying for this. I want you to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and to understand and comprehend it. He said, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, once that's taken care of, now, look what he says. Now, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but wait, doesn't stop there, according to the what? The power that worketh in us. What's he speaking of here? Those things that he's praying for. We oftentimes quote this verse and say, boy, I'm glad my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but we don't have those things that are listed above. He's not even scratching the surface yet. He is able, but He ties His ability and His power to the living of a Christian's life in full surrender to His Holy Spirit. He chooses willingly to say, I will only do the blessings if you allow me to. If you empty yourself and let me have my will and my way in your life, if you'll ever do that, then I'll show you some exceeding abundant things above all that you can ask or think. But it's going to be according to the power that worketh in us. It's not just going to be for every Christian that just says, I think this is going to happen. It's only going to happen for those that say, I want that power that Paul's speaking of. 
I want the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. I want Christ dwelling in me. I want there to be a love that is so rooted and grounded that I understand God's love. And it affects the way I love others. And I want to be filled with all the fullness of Christ. And when that happens, boy, you better watch out. Because all of a sudden, God begins to give an increase. And oh, what an increase. Paul makes mention of the fact here that it very easily could be exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or ever think. But it's according to the power that worketh in us. He said, when that happens, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And He ends it with, Amen. So we stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Oh, how precious it is. Lord, how, how probing sometimes it is to our hearts. How there is conviction that is brought as we look and we measure ourselves against Your Word. And we often see the shortfalls. We often see the neglect. Father, there certainly are things in my life, and I'm sure that others as 